Today's episode comes to you in partnership with Rotacloud, the people management platform for shift-based teams. Rotacloud lets managers create and share rotas, record attendance and manage annual leave, all from a single web-based app. It also makes work simple for your team, allowing them to check their rotas, request holiday and even pick up extra shifts straight from their phones. Try Rotacloud's time-saving tools today by heading to rotacloud.com forward slash fill. Welcome to Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street, where each week we take a light-hearted look into the stories and individuals that make up the wonderful world of hospitality. Today's guest is Barry Macon, General Manager of the rather beautiful Cromlex Hotel in Scotland. Coming up on today's show, Barry gives Phil a pep talk. Well done, what's next? Phil delivers his quote of the day, hospitality trumps protocol every time. And Barry recounts a how the hell did that happen moment. So I'm now standing in this room where I'm not meant to be and offering the Prime Minister a cup of tea. All that and so much more as Barry chats us through his superb career so far. Barry was late to the hospitality party, but since joining, he's worked his way through some quite magnificent properties within the Scottish hotel scene. That now finds him taking the reins at Cromlix, a hotel with famous ownership in the form of Kim and Andy Murray. It is, however, one thing to be famous, another to back that up with a superb offer and experience. Barry and his team are doing just that. One final thing before we get into it, and I know I go on about this, but if you can take two seconds to subscribe to the show and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts, it really makes a huge difference. Enjoy. And a huge hospitality meets welcome to Barry Mackin. Hello, how are you? I'm very well, how are you? I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Keeping keeping nice and busy, which is great. That is good, yeah, yeah. Did I get the pronunciation of your surname right? I should have checked that with you before we started. No, it's Macon. But it's, Macon. A, it's a very common mistake in Scotland. Um, Mac is uh, the go-to pronunciation, but it's Macon. So it originally comes from Wales, I'm led to believe. My dad's English. Ah, so, right, and his, right, right. His, 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 uh, historically, I think it's Welsh. but Right. Well, we yeah. share that in common then. My, my father's English as well. He's a, he's a Yorkshireman. Uh, definitely no connections ah, okay. with Wales there. But Okay, okay. Yes, uh, I, I was, as a result, brought up as a fairly neutral Brit. Yeah, yeah. But uh, in any case, that's probably a subject for another time. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great stuff. How's how's life with you? Very good, very good. We're just coming into, uh, it's been a very busy six months. So I started at Cromlix in January, um, just as they'd shut the doors, actually, before the refurbishment started. So we had a an incredibly busy 10 weeks doing a, a top-to-bottom refurbishment, all the bedrooms, public area spaces, um, and externals, actually, of the hotel. So that was about 10 weeks. We opened in April. Uh, it's been full steam ahead since then, so the waters are starting to calm now. Everyone's catching their breath, and we're, we're getting into our stride. But it's been a, a really exciting six months. Yeah. Uh, welcome to Cromlix. Uh, Thank crack you. On. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, indeed. By God, that sounds like a baptism of fire. But yeah, yeah. I mean, you've, we've mentioned the hotel, but if for, for the uninitiated out there, just tell the world what it is that you do uh, and where. So I'm the general manager of Cromlix, um, which is a gorgeous five-star, 16-bedroom property just outside Dunblane. Uh, we're lucky enough to be owned by Andy and Kim Murray. Um, they've had the property for about 10 or 11 years now. Um, they bought My it. God, uh, that's gone by quick. Very quickly, very quickly. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, they've had it for a while, and, and um, recently this year they've decided to take a far more hands-on approach, and they, it's run directly now, as opposed to through through a management contract, which is how it was run for the last ten years. So they've they've got it in house now, and they changed a bit of the structure. So we've got a full internal team that, and then we just report into the board. So it's really good, full autonomy. Right. It's great. 
Great stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll we'll talk uh, in depth about that as we go through the journey. Mm. But we obviously, obviously, there is your journey in, into how you actually ended up here. So take us all the way back to the beginning of your career. How did you get into hospitality in the first place? I fell into hospitality, really, which I think is a story for, for a lot of people. So my own personal journey started in the army. So I joined the army when I was 18 years old um, as a telecommunications technician. So I did. I was quite good at physics at school and, and maths. I then went to college and studied electronics. And you found yourself in one of those catch-22s where can't get a job without experience, can't get experience without a job. So the army was the perfect answer. It gave me more training and a job. So I did that. I was a telecoms engineer, uh, fixing their radios and telephones and all the all the fun stuff that comes with that. And so I did that for five years. And then I decided to, to come out. I, I came back to Scotland and I did exactly the same job for the police up in Tayside. So I wasn't a policeman. I just worked for them as a, a civilian looking after their telecommunications equipment. Right. Where, where do you hail from? Uh, by uh, originally, or... I was born in St Andrews. Ah, right. Okay. Actually, where the, the Duke's Golf Course is now, there was a Craigton Country Park. Um, so that's where I was born and then lived there for most of my life. There was a period down in, in England and Wales shortly when my dad worked down there when I was about 10 to 12. But back up and went to school in St Andrews and, and stayed just outside St Andrews actually called Kingsbarns, which lots of people now know for the golf course there, a the little village. Um, and it was from there that I joined joined the army. And then when I left, I moved back to that area, worked for Tayside Police, looking after their radios and telecommunication systems, Tayside Angus. So that was a three-year contract. Um, that contract came to an end, and I was looking for another telecoms job because that was my career. That's what I was going to do. And around about that time, or a couple of years before then, St. Andrews Bay had opened, uh, and I took zero hour part-time not part-time sorry zero hour full-time bar job at St Andrews Bay just to to pay the bills we had a young family so it was something while I was waiting to get my next telecoms job and and I think I probably hit the place at the perfect time with the perfect people around me and it's such a great place to work it really caught me and, and um, I was hooked so that was 20 years ago wow. um, that I started there and then ever since then I've just kind of worked my way through and up been lucky enough to work with some very good leaders and colleagues um, and learned a lot. So, yeah, this isn't where I thought I was going to be, but I'm going yeah. to come here. No, but I love that. I think I, I really, really love that about hospitality in general, mm. really, that that, I, I mean, it, it doesn't really matter when you find it, does it? I mean, it, it, if, if it sings to you at, the, at that moment in time, which clearly did, yeah. uh, I, I have to say, I, I, I also love the fact that, you've highlighted the importance of having the right people around you. Oh, 100%. Um, yeah. Because you I, come into that environment and you don't have the right people around you and your experience is very different, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I've, I've seen it from both sides. I've, I was lucky that at my in the beginning, I, I worked in an environment where I had some great people around me. Um, I've also worked in a couple of places where there's not been as good people around you. And I think if that was the environment I was in at the beginning, I would never be here now. Um, and I think that's, something that I've borne in mind all the time. It's really important to to be the right leader, which doesn't come naturally and we all make mistakes as we as we go through, but it's really important that people feel comfortable where they where they're working. And that takes a lot of work to yeah. do that. 
no doubt and i, I think if if anybody's listening if you if you want a, a kind of rule number one in how you get ahead with your your business there it is right there is is make sure that when you're welcoming staff into your business not just your guests that you are making them welcome that you yeah. you know that you are giving them a place that they that they want to work yeah and i and i think hospitality as a as a general rule is is one of the hardest industries to be able to do that because you know there's there's every penny's a prisoner probably even more so now than it than it was over the last few years and no doubt yeah and to to give yourself the the time to have somebody come into the business and not be operational at the beginning because it's important that they have the time to find their feet um i think that isn't isn't always the case you know sometimes you get thrown in at the deep end a lot of the times in hospitality because people are chasing their tails for recruitment they need that body on the floor carrying the plates or pouring the drinks and 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 at times it can be a bit of a luxury to have the buddy system or the shadow or the induction of the length of time that would give you the most benefit and so yeah it's a it's a it's a challenge but definitely beneficial yeah, it's the one that you have to push through, isn't it? It's the one whereby it, the easy option is to just, you know, I suppose, bring somebody in and hope and let them get on with it that yeah. that will be enough. Because maybe, I mean, the demand for business is, is there, right? I mean, so people are busy and it is a, it's a difficult thing to do. But as you say, it's worth its weight in gold if you can actually you know, spend that time with somebody as they're coming in. Yeah, definitely. And I think you also need to remember that when somebody starts a new job, the last thing they want to do is to ask for help because yeah. it makes them seem as if they can't do their job, you know. Mm -hmm. So and, and it's you have to get let people feel comfortable enough to ask for help and, and comfortable enough to make mistakes. I think mistakes for me are the most important thing that I've ever made because it doesn't matter how many times people tell you the right way to do something. I know for a fact I've learned far more by messing up than I have by following instruction. Yeah. But I've been lucky enough to have people and managers and to have had relationships where I'm allowed to make mistakes. I think if, if, if you make if you make a mistake for the right reason, I think that's okay. And yeah. you know, mistakes are mistakes. You don't know what you don't know. So you have to give people the, the confidence to make the decision which might be right or wrong, as long yeah. as they've made it for the right reason. The hope is that they learn from it. Yeah. Um, so. No, indeed. Well, uh, we've uh, we've come off your story a little bit. Right. I, I could talk about that subject forever. <laughs> to be honest, it, it's one of my uh, my favourite uh, topics as a recruiter as well. Yeah. You know, but it is. It's. A, I think it's a massively important thing to to get right. But take us back then. So you were uh, you started your career in hospitality behind the bar. Uh, yes. And how, what happened next? So I, um, I I can still remember the interview actually. It was a, it was a chap called Willem Verhoeven, um, mm -hmm. who was a supervisor in the bar, who's gone on to do great things. General manager at the Belfry, he's run his own hotel and things like that. So for cracking he was a, yeah, Willem Verhoeven, great guy, fantastic guy, Dutch guy. So I, I remember sitting down in what was the atrium, is still the atrium, I guess, um, the big space, and and one of the questions that he asked was, what would you do if 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 um, if we asked you to work a a 60 hour week um, and I said well if that's what the business needs then that's that's fine I guess I would do it little knowing that that would be the norm right <laughs> hour week. so that wasn't an exceptional um, week that was no but again the people that you were working with made the hours feel just it was like going to I say that 
St Andrews Bay was my university because I didn't go to study hospitality, obviously. Um, so that was the time where I was there for four years. So progressed from there was lots of little steps in in there. It was um, bartend. In fact, it was floor server first. So you had to graduate to get onto the bar to make drinks. Um, so you went from the floor service, then you went onto the bar, then you became junior supervisor, supervisor. So I became junior supervisor in the bar and supervisor in the bar. And how long did that take you? It was fairly quick. So I was three months, then I was a junior supervisor. Um, it was about another three or four months, then I was a supervisor. Um, I opened up the fine dining restaurant as the bar supervisor, Esperante, as it was called. Right. I was then there for probably just short of a year. Then I went to the conference and events as a senior beverage supervisor, running all the, the beverage side of the events for up to 600 people. And then I went from senior supervisor to assistant bar manager. Um, then I was assistant bar manager. I opened the, the new sports bar that was called the Rock and Spindle. And then I became, after that, I became beverage manager. So I was looking after the beverage in the whole, in the whole operation. And right. so that was my journey at St. Andrews Bay and actually Fairmont because three years into my four years, St. Andrews Bay, the owner sold um, to a company and then it was ran by Fairmont as it is to this day. So yeah. it became Fairmont St. Andrews. Well, that's not a bad company, isn't it, to get your kind of grounding with, as it were? You no, know, that, was, that was really good. That really gave me an insight into the, the big corporate hospitality machine um, and they're, they're very precise and they're very organized and they had a group of an opening team that, that flew over and we did all sorts of courses and rebranding and everything like that it was a really great experience actually yeah and at what point in this process at st andrews did it become apparent to you that that this is this is the new direction because i guess you because you, you went there out of necessity rather than desire to, to start with yeah, but there must. I guess there must have been a point where you thought, "Hang on a minute, I'm having too much of a good time here. Somebody's paying me to do this." Well, actually, do you know, I think that was probably my entire journey at St Andrews was very much. I just enjoyed it, and it was about the people that were around you and and the 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 different events that would happen within St Andrews and the different people that you met just kept you so engaged every day. Mm. It's, it's an absolute cliche, but every day was different. No two days were the same. You're meeting different people. You're you're, you're responding to different requests. We had some fantastic events and functions that would come in, big corporate buyout events by, you know, pharmaceutical companies that would buy the entire hotel for two days and, and have these amazing fancy dress parties or magicians or it was just the stuff that we were doing there was, was incredible. So I, I just, I just loved it. So, and I, I didn't want to do anything else. So right. it wasn't even a case of I thought this is what I want to do. I didn't think in 20 years I'd be sitting as a general manager, you know, I I think the whole way through my career, I've always, I've only just ever looked at the next step, but I've always looked at the next step. So when I've gone to move on to the next one, I've always thought, right, what is the next step from here? How can I get better from here? Yeah. You know, when I was a bartender, I would have been delighted to be the beverage manager. When I was a beverage manager, I then wanted to be an F&B manager. When I was an F&B manager, I wanted to be an operation manager. So I've always reached the goal that I've aspired to and then no longer aspire to be there. <laughs> I want to go to the next level. So I think that's how I've done it. I've not put too much pressure on myself to get to a certain place by a certain time. I've just always strived to be better 
yeah. in every place that I've been, which is naturally just taking me here. And, you know, 20 years isn't quick. It's not slow, but yeah, no, I've, no, no. I've enjoyed it along the way. So but that That's the, the key thing right there, though, isn't it? And, and, and also, as you say, not being in a hurry to do it, but take the learning at each stage and, and you know, make sure it's, it's embedded in you before you kind of look to, to go to, to the next one. I mean, you highlight a, a number of amazing points again about, about the industry there. And, and the one for me that rings true, because I, I experienced this in my own career as well, is a lot's made of the hours out in the, the stratosphere. But actually, if you're doing something that you enjoy, surrounded by people you love being around, yeah. then the hours are, you, you forget that you're oh. even working them. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've um, in some of my telecoms jobs and days when I was working at a bench fixing a radio, I used to do a 35-hour week. And some of those weeks felt very long. You know, time never drags in hospitality. You're always doing something. And, you know, you've done the 18-hour shifts, which are, I wouldn't want anyone to do an 18-hour shift out of choice. But you do them out of necessity sometimes. And as long as you're agreeable to do them, I think it's okay. It's interesting. I think what a lot of, it, it's not something you would plan to do, but when you're in those environments and you're doing those sort of hours, as long as you've got the right people around you, the teamwork that it builds and the friendship that it builds. And, you know, it's probably similar to the military. You know, we, when I was in the army, you know, the, the friend, I've still got friends now that I can phone up and we speak. And that was, I haven't seen them for 25 years, but it's as if you've never not seen them. But that's because you go through extreme situations with them, even on training exercises, and it just builds a really strong bond. And I think you get that in hospitality as well, because you know if you put it as something as simple as it, it's a buyout in the hotel, it's two o'clock in the morning, it's eight deep at the bar, you just have to fight to get through it, and you have to work together. There's no option. So you build yeah. really strong bonds with people, and, and you, and I think that's one of the best teams I've ever worked with was at St. Andrews Bay. Um, and it was one of the first teams, so there's probably an element of rose-tinted glasses. I'm sure there were some terrible times as well. But it was all driven by getting through those tough times. If it was an easy job, we wouldn't have had as strong a team. I've no doubt about that. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I hear you completely. I think there's there's lots of conversations that I've had that say much the same thing, is that, you know, if you're... Uh, you, Almost, for want of a better phrase, and forgive the army illusion here, but the um, going to war together, yeah. you can't help but build bonds with people who who care. And I always remember it for me. We used to work all the hours that were under the sun when I worked on cruise ships, uh, you know, and it was a seven day a week operation. You never got a day off when you were on contract, but but you know that when you're signing the contract, so it's not a surprise. But then equally, when you get into something happens that you have that's not part of your day-to-day -day and, and on a cruise ship what that might be is you can't get into port because the weather is dreadful or something like that so then you know the whole operation changes and you've got everybody kind of pulls together and tries to make sure that the experience that people are having is still a good one but I remember being on shift early doors in my career and I, I it was I was already 12 hours into the shift, mm. and then it was uh, I got the the call from my supervisor at the time saying, "Look, it's going to have to be all hands on the pump here because we're about to announce a, a really bad piece of news for the passengers. We're basically going to have to turn around and go back to Southampton." Was so it was just going, we knew we were going to get pelted from yeah. all angles. 
And that was to me the moment that I, I realized that I was 100% in control in, in how I reacted to that. Yep. My first reaction was, oh, God, you know, I'd already just built, I'd already left. My head was, I'd gone off shift, you know, yep. at, uh, at that point, coming to the end of 12, 12 hours. But, but then you get to a, a point where you, you just, something switches within you and you just say, well, I'm not going home yet. So while I'm here, I'm here. I am on and I am available and I will I will give the best account of myself that I possibly can. And that was the, that was the moment for me that I realized that, uh, again, surrounded by people that you care about who are there on that journey with you. Yeah. And you can get through an awful, a hell of a lot more than you think you can when you're in an environment like that. A huge amount. And it is, it is absolutely about mindset because I've been in situations in hospitality where where I had that switch hasn't gone and I've gone, oh God, you know, have, have I got to stay and do this? And time absolutely drags. If you're in a negative frame of mind, an hour feels like three because you don't want to be there. All you're thinking about is what you're doing and when you're going to get away. Whereas if you're, if you're going exactly like you said, you go, right, well, just, just, just crack on with it. Let's do what we need to do. And then it gets quicker. The time absolutely flies because you're not thinking about when you're going to finish. You're just concentrating on what you're doing. Yeah. So it's definitely a mind mind over matter. Absolutely. Fastest shift I ever had, as in terms of how quickly it went. It was, again, a 12-hour shift. was a student exchange in America, and uh, all of the, the kitchen workforce went out on strike. Oh. And we, we had a full <laughs> restaurant coming in, and it was all hands to the pump. And I ended up uh, being the uh, kitchen porter. Uh, wow. Having had no experience of being a kitchen porter before, yeah. I tell you what, I had an absolute blast. It was, yeah. it's, again, as soon as you re- when your boss tells you, right, you're going to be on ensuring that everybody has dishes where they need dishes, you know, and, and you, initially my reaction was, well, that's not what I'm here for. And as soon as you snap out of that, as soon as you get past that, if that's what your natural first reaction is, I had, I had the time of my life. And, of course, then you take that learning. And actually, if I, if I control my my own mindset towards something, then it just means I'm going to be in a lot more control as to whether or not I enjoy something or not. Yeah, and and without those, I don't think, without those challenges and, and tough times, you you never become a rounded hospitality person. You never, yeah. um, because it, the first few times it happens, you'll react good or bad, and then you learn how to react in the best way to get through those situations. So going back to you don't know what you don't know, you, you don't know how to react to experiences you've never had either. Mm. Um, and when you start to, to move into leadership and management, it's important that you've experienced those times so that you, you, you know how to react and you can actually, as importantly, let people believe that it's achievable to get through because that's one of the biggest things. When you when you have a real a real challenge to, to get through or you know, an electricity cut when you're feeding 500 people or <laughs> a fire alarm that goes off at 11 o'clock at night when you've got a function for 500. These are things that that, that I've dealt with. And at the start of it, your, your initial thought is, oh, my God, how are we how are we even going to start to get through this and get to the other side? Because at, at that point in time, it just feels impossible. Mm-hmm. But if you keep chipping away at it and just there's no other option but to get through, Yeah, I think. And, and, and when you get to the other side, the next time that a, a, a crisis happens, you're far more believing that you can get through it because mm. you've done it before. Yeah. So it's, 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 I call it the wax on, wax off. 
learning process. Yes, you, you, now, you don't you put this in your notes. I was, yeah. uh, I, I was very keen to to inquire about this. Well, the longer I'm in the industry and, and the more times that I find myself in different positions, the more apparent this becomes to me because I'll draw on experiences over the last 20 years and use them in a new role that I didn't know I had that tool in the bag. But you draw on something that you've done before. So without realizing it, you're learning all of these new skills that you can draw on in the future. And But at that time, you don't actually appreciate what you're learning until you need to draw on it. So in the last four or five years, I've felt that even more than I have done in my career, just at different times when I've looked back into the experiences I've had and I've been able to draw on those experiences to help me get through current experiences um, probably better than I would have done without them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it definitely sounds like there's some stories in there, but uh, maybe, we'll, <laughs> maybe we'll get to them. But I, I am eminently aware that I took you off your journey again. I do that yeah, quite a lot. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, fascinating... This is the thing for me, and you kind of highlighted it there as well, is that, that there are there's so much learning, whether you realize it's happening or not, yeah. throughout your career. And especially because this is a, an industry by its very definition, when you're trying to excel at giving somebody a great experience and trying to, you know, trying to lift people up into to that kind of place is it, it can be a challenge sometimes and but when you're when you're able to do it and then you can just kind of make it happen because you know all the ways to do it it's it's a glorious glorious thing when when it all kind of starts just to fit into play yeah yeah i'm um my brain what i'm getting quite visual in the way that my my brain works i think as opposed to academical so all these little short sweet cliches paint a quite a a visual picture for me in the brain um, little things. I've had loads of people that have, that have been good at it. Stephen Carter, the first GM that I had, he had a... Oh, God, not him again. Yeah, he had a, he had a, he had a gem. And I, I still remember it. We just won Hotel of the Year at the Scottish Hotel Awards and everyone was doing these fantastic celebrations and it was brilliant and it was great and it really pulled the team together. And a couple of days after we won it, he came into the canteen and there was a staff meeting and he said, well done everyone for winning the the Scottish Hotel of the Year, we need to get better. And everyone went, what, really? We just won Scottish Hotel of the Year. We're the best. And and his, his, his words were, which is, he said time and time again, when you stop getting better, you stop being good. Because it doesn't matter how good you are, if you don't get any better, everyone around you will. And then all of a sudden, that level that you won, your whatever it was in, is no longer the best that's around. So it was quite a grounding to to have, you know, well done, what's next? You know, that sort of idea. And it, it's it's a good thing to keep in the back of your mind. It doesn't matter how good you are. Other people are always fighting to get better. So Yeah, well, I mean, that, that feeds into the, the concept of both success and failure are very short-lived. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, so you, can, you can't rest on your success, but equally you can't dwell on failure. So no. uh, similar no. principle, I guess. And actually, speaking of success and, and failure being short-lived, I think that's where, if you go back to allowing people to make mistakes, I think it's important. Because, I mean, I've dropped a couple of clangers over over my career. One one that I can remember in particular was the I was the operations manager at the Roxburgh in Edinburgh, a big two-bedroom, two-hundred-bedroom hotel, and we were mm. we were rebranding from a McDonald Hotel into a Crown Plaza. Right. Um, oh, you were there and, at that time. Right. I was there. At that I remember time, yeah. that time. Yes. Um, 
and our my general manager, who's a, who's a real friend to this day, and I speak to him quite a lot, Marcello Ventisi, was the general manager there, and we had this big atrium that had tiled flooring, and it hadn't been cleaned forever, and and we said, what, well, just give it a little bit of a clean before um before we rebrand to Crown Plaza. So he said to me, get a company and do a spot clean, and we'll see what difference it makes. So I got the guys in and, and these buffers and everything, and I told them to do a space where I thought was a good space to do, it was right in the middle of the atrium. And they did it, and it looked amazing. It was fantastic. But I, I didn't know that the decision hadn't been taken to do the whole thing yet. So we did it, and then Marcello came out, and there was this one sparkling square in the middle of the atrium, and he, he couldn't believe it, and I, I got a bit of a rollicking for it, which is fine. But but in the end, we did it all, and it was great. So it, it was the wrong thing to do, but he didn't take it any further than saying, that wasn't the right thing to do. We should have done it somewhere more discreet in a corner. But I've, you know, I've probably worked with people at different stages through my career who maybe would have made a far bigger thing of that, and and then that just damages yeah, you. I think. You. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because I think if 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 you're too hard on people when they make mistakes again that were made for the right reason, then there's a danger that those people won't make any more decisions moving forward because they're scared of making the wrong one. And that's the worst thing that can happen to anyone because you take away their, their autonomy and you take away their ability to make decisions and then they just become introverted and they don't, they don't succeed. So, yeah. Um, well, that's ultimately yeah. a failure of leadership then, isn't it? I mean, the, the not allowing people the, the freedom to commit to, because you know, that's when things are glorious, when you have a, 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 a group of people who are, Comfortable in their own skin, comfortable voicing opinions, comfortable, yeah. you know, making putting their head above the parapet and saying, "I'd stand by this decision." As you say, as long as that's coming from a position of, yeah. you know, the intention is you know, positive and and it's for the the greater good or it's, this will benefit X Y Z or whatever. Then, if you're jumping down the throat of people that that are are willing to make these decisions, then yeah, you're you're just creating a group of people who will never make decisions again in their life. Yeah, and I, it's the the single most important tool you can learn as a manager is decision making because further up the chain you go, that becomes a far larger part of your job. You're just making decisions, whether it's people coming to you asking questions or decisions that you have to make within the business. It's Once you get to general manager level, I think the vast majority of your work is decision making. Um, and if you don't have the... Um, the confidence to make those decisions and, and the ability to believe in your own decision making it's really tough and and the more decisions you make and you realize that the right ones more confidence comes but for me it's a the, probably the the one key skill that takes time to learn uh, is making decisions and being comfortable to make them and if you're not allowed to go on that journey i think you struggle Absolutely right. Back to journey. Yes, <laughs> I think I feel that you and I could could talk about uh, <laughs> leadership and just chew the fat generally all day. But um, uh, there's a job to do here. But yes, so St Andrews and you were climbing the ranks there, and you Fairmont came in uh, at uh, towards the back end of your your time there. What position were you when you decided it was time to move move on? I was beverage manager, um, right. so I've kind of reached the top of the tree that I could go within beverage within St Andrews Bay so that took me about four years to do that and then one of my friends who was the executive chef moved down to Slaley Hall 
um, in Northumberland, beautiful property, Hexham, just outside uh, Newcastle. So he went down there as food and beverage manager. So he asked me if I would like to come down as it was called food and beverage service manager uh, when I first went down, which was basically operationally looking after the, the outlets. So I went down there and, and um, food beverage operations manager, but then that morphed into restaurant manager. Uh, so we opened and refurbished uh, a meeting room and turned it into a Gerardon restaurant, um, which I'd never done before in my life. Uh, so we called that Duke's Grill. And that was, again, with a, an amazing group of people at the time. So it was with Devia Slaley Hall. And there was a cracking bunch of food and beverage people at the time who were really engaged and quite entrepreneurial in the way they worked. It was um, Keith Shearer was heading up the, the food side of business at that time. Paul Boyce was heading up the, the, the F&B operations side. Um, and there was a, a great guy called Johnny Walker who was heading up the, the drinks side of the of the business. The irony um, of that. Yeah, with the... such a fantastic <laughs> guy. He's, he's a sommelier to trade and just incredible. The stories he has to tell, you need to get him on your podcast, actually. Okay, noted. Johnny yeah. Walker. He's, Johnny he's Walker. fantastic. You'll need longer than an hour with him. He's that's great fine. Guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, maybe um, we'll get a little Johnny Walker and have a chat. Yeah, he's fantastic. He was an apprentice at the Cooperage, uh, Speyside Cooperage, when he was younger and worked his way up. Anybody, anyway. Um, so we, we opened the Gerardon restaurant. It was a, a, it was a 60 cover restaurant and we were doing Dover Soul at the table, Chateaubriand, all of that sort of stuff that I'd never been exposed to. Um, and I learned all of that, which was really good. We had a whiskey snug just off the side of the restaurant that had 300 whiskies in it where we could, wow. and I love whiskey. I used to do the whiskey tastings at St. Andrew's Bay at New Year. So, and I just self-taught reading books in the back of whiskey bottles. Right. Um, what, so what's, your, really, what's your favourite whiskey for, for people who want to get started? Um, I'd, Ockintosh and Threewood is a lovely whiskey. Noted. Um, so it's a lowland whiskey. It's it's triple triple aged in Oloroso, well, bourbon, Oloroso sherry and Pedro Jimenez. So it's got a real sweetness to it. It's really smooth. It's really nice. Right. Really nice. That's my, if anyone was I going to try, go try that one, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so that, that was a fantastic experience when we opened that restaurant and then that then we refurbished the main restaurant, um, which was a 180-cover uh, restaurant, which we ended up calling Hadrian. So that was an experience to do and, and open. And that's probably – I'd refurbished the, the the bar at St. Andrew's Bay, and that was really interesting for me. I designed the bar and everything like that. And then there was more refurbishments down at Slaley Hall with the two restaurants. And I think if, if I look over my career, I've done actually quite a lot of refurbishments now. Right. Um, I love the project side of, of the business and being involved from the, the ground floor and building it. Um, really interesting. Plus, I suppose in a, in a situation like that as well, you like this is a, a, an opportunity to whatever's come before, it's an opportunity to wipe the slate clean and really go to town on a new direction, uh, I suppose, yeah. or, or, or whatever. Yeah, no, I think it, it's, it's really good because when you're involved at the start and you're you're building something in, I think you have far more of an emotional attachment to it. You know, you're you're not picking up anything that somebody else has done. You can really put your own stamp on it. You can you can make it operate how you think is the best. And then when you do that and it works, such a good feeling. It's, mm. There's nothing better than than putting a process in place or deciding on a direction and it actually works. You know, the feeling of success is is brilliant. Sometimes you do stuff and it doesn't work. 
but then when you correct it and make it work, that's that's good. It, yeah, it's, yeah. It's a nice feeling to succeed. Yeah, no doubt, especially because, as you say, you've you've had real personal input into uh, yeah. into the direction of travel. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's good, um, but likewise, it's you learn when you get it wrong as well. So you might think this is absolutely the right thing to do which can happen on refurbishments because a lot of it's all theoretical. You know, this will be great to do. We can do this. This will be the guest journey. This will work brilliantly. And then ultimately the guest tells you if it's going to work or not when they come in. And, and sometimes you've totally got it wrong and, and the flow isn't the best flow for the guest and then you have to change it. But I also like that as well because it, it brings it back to we're here for the guest. We're not here for us. So we can sometimes be a bit precious and think, well, no, this is the right way to do it and this is the way that I would do it. But it's all about what the guest wants, really, at the end of the day. It doesn't really matter what what we think the right way is to do things. Yeah. You know, that That's just our experience. And hopefully nine times out of ten, it matches the guest's demands. Yeah. But when it doesn't, you have to be humble enough to, to realize that your way is not what they want and then you change it because... Yeah. You know, failure quickly follows somebody that doesn't do what the guest wants. For sure, you can't exactly say, "Well, well, they don't know what they're talking about." Yeah, that's yeah. a surefire way for yeah. uh, defeat, for for sure. And you know, that's that that's another little gem of of Mr. Carter. Was um, I remember him again? I refer to him a lot. Um, he said, "If a guest thinks they have a complaint, a guest has a complaint. Doesn't right. matter what we think." Yeah. You know, we could, and you hear it all the time, and you think it yourself in your head. You know, you go, God, what are they complaining about that for? Don't they understand or something? Like that. But it doesn't matter. In their head, it's not what they want. So it doesn't matter what we think. Mm. We either want to make the guest happy or we don't. Yeah. And and you have to eat a, a huge amount of humble pie and, and bite your tongue a lot with, with certain situations that you find yourself in. But if we're in business to to serve people and to make them have the best experience for the money that they are paying you, we have to also understand that it's about what they want and not what we think they should want. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Mr. Carter, eh? he's, he's got an awful lot to answer for in this uh, in the hospitality industry in Scotland. Absolutely. All, all positive. <laughs> all positive, most, yes. Most, mostly. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> Absolutely. Um Excellent. Okay, so Slaley Hall refurbishment. What what happened from there? Slaley Hall to Cameron House, um, which was still part of of Devere. They just they were a little bit further down the line of their refurbishment. They'd done um, they'd done most of it actually. They'd done the the Cameron Grill, the Great Scots Bar, the Boat House. So I, I was I was food and beverage manager there for for just short of a year, and again that was a great experience, and that was. At the risk of mentioning his name again, Stephen Carter was the MD there. So that's I worked right. with him again there. Um, and the general manager was Graham Lisbeth. Um, he was a great guy. He was a food and beverage manager at Fairmont or St. Andrews Bay when I was there. So industry is very small. I'm sure lots of people will tell you you end up working with the same people. But that was a phenomenal experience. Cameron House is one of my favorite properties I've ever worked in. The location's incredible. Stunner, um, yeah. It's just just amazing. And, and actually, that was probably where I made... With hindsight, one of my mistakes in the moves, I moved on from Cameron House probably too early and I moved for money, which is the only time I've ever moved for money. Um, and it wasn't the right move for me at the time. 
Sorry to interrupt, but a quick word to give special mention to our sponsor, Rotacloud, without whom this podcast wouldn't even be possible. With thousands of customers worldwide, Rotacloud is already saving businesses like yours hundreds of hours of staffing-related admin every year. It's been described by its users as everything from a lifesaver to an absolute no-brainer, with one customer even saying that they'd rather stick forks in their eyes than go back to doing their rotas the old-fashioned way. If you're ready to take the pain out of people management, I highly recommend heading over to rotacloud.com forward slash fill to sign up for your free 30-day trial and see how Rotacloud can benefit your business. Now let's get back to it. Um, so, I mean, ultimately it led on to other things, but, but it was probably it wasn't the right decision to make at that time. Right. Um, where, did, so where, where did you go? I, I moved in to do a role for a group called G1 through in through in St Andrews and um, Dundee as an area general manager, bars, restaurants and a nightclub. Um, the company was company was great. Individually the units were great, but the, the, the type of units wasn't the right move for me to have a little nightclub in there. So food and beverage manager and things like that I'm I'm great with, but it was probably too much of an eclectic role. I really didn't know anything about nightclubs, I still don't. Right. Yeah. Um so <laughs> Good role for the right person wasn't for me. Mm. Um, so uh, that, I mean that uh, I think the vast majority of people throughout their career can recount uh, an error of judgment yeah. uh, on that, whether it's a, a money led decision or you know you just get your head turned and it sounds like it's an amazing opportunity, but actually yeah. when you when you get into it, you realise very quickly that it's actually it's it's not you, it's not what what you yeah, are. Yeah, and 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 in reality, I think it was me that wasn't right for the job, as opposed to the other way around. It, it, you know, the job was a good job. It just for the right person, it would have been a great job. I just wasn't that right person i'd put myself into into the wrong job because i ended up working for for the company again when i was at the scotsman and i thoroughly enjoyed it so but it's about being in the right job for you and for the company that you're working for as well yeah absolutely uh so what happened after that then where did you so after that i went to the cali um in god you're you're knocking off some some very well-known hotels here yeah, throughout your yeah. career. so i was food and beverage manager at the cali um, which was a, a, a great property, 240 bedrooms. So that was really interesting. That was working under a, a general manager called um, Willie Blattner. He's a great guy. He'd been there uh, for, gosh, about eight years by the time I got there. He was a, a Swiss guy. And he was Hilton through and through his whole career he'd spent with them. He was the food and beverage manager at the Twin Towers back in the 80s, I think. He was a chef to begin with, and then he moved out, and he, but his his journey within Hilton was incredible. He was a real character, great guy. Um, so I worked there. We did some really exciting stuff at the, the Cali, the location and the, the history in Edinburgh of that building. Great. We've got a beautiful, stunning ballroom with the hand-painted walls and beautiful grand staircase that goes up, and they've got a, a restaurant called the Pompadour, which is, again, beautifully hand-painted. Lovely windows looking out over the over the castle. We used to do a hundred afternoon teas in there on a on a Saturday, and it was fine dining at night. So that was a great experience for me. So then they're now the Waldorf, and I was there at the start of that transition from what was a Hilton into a Waldorf. And during that time, one of the things that they did was they they franchised out the restaurant to a third party, and so it was going to be basically just the bar, room service and conference and events, the restaurant wasn't going to be 
part of my role um, as food and beverage manager because it was franchised out. So I took the decision to to move on from there, which was back to G1, the company that I'd worked for in St Andrews. So again, it was the role that wasn't right for me as opposed to, to the company. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I suppose from the position of you you leaving that role that that wasn't right for you my assumption is is that you 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 left in the right way because otherwise you you probably don't get a job with them again type thing yeah i mean yeah i mean i've worked for them three times now so right 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 so this move was the the second time i was i went off as as general manager of a, a small hotel on the royal mile called uh, it was called in on the mile now it was called the bank hotel back then they just bought a few hotels in edinburgh so i was there for about six months and then i moved to the murrayfield another one of their hotels opposite the murrayfield and that was a 42 bedroom hotel i was general manager there and then an opportunity came up to to go to the roxburgh as operations manager and so and that was a big 200 bedroom hotel mcdonald's hotel so it was really getting back into the main thrust of, of hospitality. And so I took the decision to move there. So a, a, a perceived step back in t- title, as it were, but actually still a step forward, really, maybe in terms of... Yeah, that was um, I, I th- that was a one of the best moves I made throughout right. the journey. Again, going into a team that is certainly equal to the one that was at St Andrews Bay for me. Um, still very close contact with a lot of people that I worked with over the, the, the three years that I was there. Mm. And and that was a good journey again in itself. So there was refurbishment elements to there. We were a, a McDonald's hotel when we started. Then the company came away from that management contract and we moved into to be independent under a Crown Plaza franchise. Um, so they were owned by a, a group of hotels called Classic Lodges from um, from down in England, Paragon Hotels. Uh, so we ran as a Crown Plaza for probably about eight months. Uh, and the transition from McDonald into Crown Plaza was really interesting. Again, IHG, really big corporate animal. So you have to tick so many boxes from a health and safety perspective and a brand perspective. It was a really interesting journey to go through, learnt loads. And then about eight months after we were at Crown Plaza, it was bought by Starwood Hotels. They were sweeping up a lot of hotels in the UK to to start to build up their principal hotels journey yeah and uh, so they bought the um, multitude of hotels the hotels they bought in scotland were the the roxburgh the bonham in edinburgh the george in edinburgh the grand central in glasgow and the blyswood square in glasgow right. um, they ultimately sold on the bonham but they kept the other the other four hotels so within the next Two and a half years, three years I spent. So I was at the Roxburgh and then there was an opportunity to go and be the director of operations at the Grand Central in Glasgow. And so we had a discussion and I moved over there as number two. That was a phenomenal place. Just such a beast. It's a huge 240 bedroom, massive conference banqueting. They had a function suite that could do 400 in the city center weddings corporate events um, its location's incredible as well isn't oh, it? I mean, it's great just, right attached to central station yeah yeah, yeah. fantastic they had an amazing bar called champagne central still do um, and it was just phenomenal the, the, the money that place took in such a small space but as a bar it was perfect because 
it was busy right up until the last train home. So by 12 o'clock, it's done. Yeah. But they were making a fortune during the day. Everybody came off the train on the way in, had a drink before they went into town, and then before they went on the train home, came back in, had a drink. It was great. It was yeah. a great place. Yeah. So I was there, but while I was there, I was living in Edinburgh, so I commuted for about 14, 15 months. I worked with a, another great general manager there, Graham Gibson. God rest him, he passed away a couple of years ago. Um, but he was a, such a great guy, a real leader and investor in people. Um, he was so interested in developing and learned a load from him from man management actually really good with people right but as i was commuting from from edinburgh the hotel manager left at the george hotel so i i applied to come back to edinburgh which i did so i came back to the george hotel i was there for about 10 months Um i was there for about two or three months and we won scottish hotel of the year which was a great thing to go through um, yep. really gelled the team together uh, a nice accolade for all the work that they'd done. I was only there for three months, so didn't have much of an input into into winning it. Um, but it was great to have the team have that accolade. It was really, really interesting. And we branded into Principal Hotel. Um, so it was, again, new branding, working with the principal brand team to deliver that brand was an interesting process. Yeah. Did you, did you give the Stephen Carter speech after you won the award? You, oh, gosh, I can't remember. I might have done. I might have done. I wouldn't have delivered it in quite the same way. No, indeed. But um... yeah, so so I was there and I was I was enjoying it at the George. Actually, beautiful hotel, stunning hotel. Again, two hundred and forty bedrooms right on George Street. But G One, who I'd worked with a couple of times before, had bought the Scotsman Hotel, um, which was a real statement purchase for them. Um, you know, it's a, a a big seventy bedroom, sits right on North Bridge, the old headquarters of the Scotsman newspaper. So and I I really liked it. So I I I messaged the um, the owner and said, "Hello, see so you bought the Scotsman. Congratulations, fantastic building." It's um, a job. <laughs> under the yeah, that was the that was the the, the crux of the message without actually saying it. Yeah, um, no, and then and then just conversations. The, the, the job wasn't available at the time. They had somebody in there, um, and then I think that person moved on, and then. Conversations happened, and and a few months later, um, after a few interviews, uh, I managed to get the job, which was fantastic, and I absolutely loved it. So I was there for just over four years and took it through the full refurbishment, top to bottom. So we started with 69 bedrooms, and then we ended up with 82 by the time I left. So we put on some more bedrooms in different areas of the hotel. We refurbished everything while we stayed open, which was no mean feat. And um, mm. so we had all of that to deal with. We we opened a, a brand new restaurant called the Grand Cafe, which sits right on North Bridge. Absolutely stunning room, double height ceiling with a mezzanine. We had a 120 seats in there with gorgeous chandeliers. And, and we refurbished um, the cinema. We put in a cinema. So it had a screening room in there before. Um, and then we ended up putting in a, a 48 seat cinema with, red leather and velvet wow. chairs that was showing up-to-date new releases incredible space yeah um, and then and and everything else that went along with it so that that was really good and i also had my my covid years at the at the scotsman as well and um, so we entered into to covid there and all the challenges that that brought and then coming out the other side of it so yeah it was a, a really full-on four years that that taught me loads um, yeah. just by the experiences that you had in a management perspective anyway 
Yeah. God, that, that sounds like the title of a Netflix show, doesn't it? The COVID years. Yeah, yeah um, I think everyone's maybe, had them. Maybe, yes, maybe somebody will will write something along those lines. Because certainly, I mean, hospitality has never known anything like it, has it really, uh, no, in terms I'm, of the, the heart being ripped out of it? Yeah, and, and, you know, it's interesting. It's the same as everything over the last few years. You know, when I think a lot of the times when when people talk about what happened back at the the, the start of, of 2020 in that tail end of March, it's, it's very, very easy to look back now and see mistakes that were made or decisions that were perhaps not the right one. But when you were at that time, at that moment, no one had experienced anything like it. So I genuinely don't think there were any wrong decisions at that moment in time. They yeah. might have proved to be better decisions to be made, but I don't know where the information was coming from from people to make them back at that time. I know, mm-hmm. you know, we were we were having meetings at the drop of a hat, and because it was so impossible to know what was going to happen. And and within hospitality, I mean, as a hotel, you know, you, you're just cut off at the at the knees. All of a sudden, there's nothing. Yeah, and and you've got uh, because it's a very labour intensive market. You've got lots of staff, and then you've got you know this this no money. Um, it was the eleventh hour before furlough was was announced. You know, right, right in the last minute. So as as businesses to to stay alive, people were were had horrendous decisions to try and make. So yeah, I think it's from my experience. I think it's quite harsh to criticise any judgments that were made within that first three or four week period of COVID. Like I say, you can look back and say that you could have made better decisions, but there was nothing to base any decision on. Mm. So it, it wasn't an easy time for, for anyone from the employees, for the employers. Yeah. So I think it's, you have to just chalk it up, I think. And then well, hopefully. And, and kind of goes back to what you were saying there later on as well, is that um, we probably even to this day don't know what that's taught us. In, yeah. in its entire yeah. in its entirety, I mean, you know, there are still probably lessons that we learned through that 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 you you just don't know have been embedded in you as yeah. part of your psyche now. For sure, um, I mean, I think there's there is some great things that came out of COVID in an efficiency point of view. We've learned lots of things in the ways that we can be more efficient. I think one of the the best things that's came out from COVID is the way we look at our teams and the way that we treat them, because hospitality as a whole doesn't have the best reputation like we spoke of at the beginning you know there's mm. there's good people and bad people and there's good places and bad places but on the whole i think it had a we were maybe a little bit too complacent with if somebody leaves there's somebody knocking on the door to come in and then we had the perfect storm of covid and brexit both at the same time and all of a sudden the hospitality pool of recruitment just totally disappeared yeah and everyone was fighting and fishing in a much smaller pond for the same people. And it was the people that were treating people the right way, looking after them, making sure they were brought on and felt comfortable in your roles. These are the people that are now doing better and they've got retention. And the people that don't look after their teams and are, are short-sighted in the way that probably a lot of people were pre-COVID, they're really struggling now. Yeah. Because you know if you don't have a positive culture and the right working environment where you are, I think you're you're just not going to make it. Yeah. And people need to need to change and realize that and it's absolutely not about throwing money at it either. No. I don't think it's about raising wages because wages are great but people need to be comfortable at work and and 
and enjoy what they do. There's only so much that, that wages will bring you. Yeah. I, I've experienced that and go back to that mistake I made Indeed. for money. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Not about, it's not about the money. It's a, it's about being happy when you, when you walk into your work and, and you can go home feeling like you've accomplished something and you've been in an environment that makes you feel healthy. Yeah. And I don't think hospitality has been that for a long time. You know, not painting everyone with the same brush, but there's certainly a lot of work that, that has been expedited by COVID. Yeah. I think as well, a lot of, as everybody kind of is aware, you know, in any given sector, there are those who do things well and those who don't. And that's not a, a hospitality exclusive no, uh, no. thing by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, it, all of what we talk about is really ultimately just common sense, isn't it, really? I mean, if you just think about what you just said, and if you're not treating people well, and then you you perpetually find yourself in a, an issue of trying to find staff, then, you know, just yeah. maybe ask yourself yeah. some some hard questions yeah. uh, around why that might be. It's it's not diff- it's not difficult really when all's no. said and done and you know and that's not to say that it's it's not easy work because it's not but it's i think that even that means that you need to have a an environment that's even more focused on on that because if you're asking people to come in and work hard then you can't be coming down on them like a ton of bricks every minute of the day you know you've got to give them the the breathing space to to be themselves and i think there is yeah. there's been there's studies done that actually in uh, real terms that that money from a motivational perspective and okay it might have climbed the ladder a little bit in these times where the cost of living's gone up a bit but the the money is is about number four or five on the list of yeah. what what and why people come to work yeah work-life balance you know not taking your work home and feeling stressed about it not feeling under pressure not getting phoned at home <laughs> yeah know, all these sorts of things that, that would that would happen in the past that you know for you know, I, I'm a firm believer where possible in two days off together. I think it's important, you know, split shifts, thankfully, are, are now more and more a thing of the past than, yeah. they, than they used to be. Yeah, it, it's it's about culture, you know, but, but that's also not to say, and it's interesting and in, in, in something that we have here, we've got quite a young a young team. It's also really important to give people structure and to make sure that they understand what's expected of them and and that all has to happen at the start you know that you also can't bring people in under this magical fluffy everything's going to be great as long as you set the expectations at the beginning then they're making a choice to come in understanding what's expected of them and you can still hold people to account to do what is expected of them without being horrible to them you know it's like you know if your job is to turn up and be smart and, and have clean uniform on and, and your shoes are polished, there's nothing wrong with you being told, polish your shoes. But that doesn't mean you need to be rude to them or anything like that. All you're doing is asking them to meet the expectation that was set at the, at the start. But if you have that structure in place, then you have a far more efficient team because everybody knows what's expected of them. You know, I've, I've got six kids and with children, it's really important that they have boundaries and they understand what is expected of them, and then they can choose to go outside of it. But at least, at least they know. Yeah. And if you don't give anyone boundaries, they just become wishy-washy and they and they, they take their own path of least resistance more often times than not. Yeah, too true, absolutely. So, uh, Scotsman, COVID years, we'll park that. Yes, we'll park the COVID element of that. 
<laughs> through the other side, I, I guess we, we must be very close to you making the move to, to where you are now. We are. We are. I did a, a quick 14 months at Indigo um, within Edinburgh. Um, so at the end of the refurbishment from from Scotsman, I chose to move on to um, get back into a little bit more of a corporate factory. So Indigo, smaller, 60 bedrooms, city centre again. So I did that. That was a, a, a great company, actually, called Splendid Hospitality. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So in, Indigo was a, a franchise brand that they brought in from IHG. And they've got some beautiful properties around the country, two of them being the Grand at York, which is a lovely five-star property, and the Hilton Bank site in London, um, which are two great properties. So, uh, And they had a really, really good culture within within the company from the top down. Everything was very inclusive. You know, you were you were allowed to be the GM of the business and run it as your own and make decisions and really... A really great culture, actually. I really enjoyed that job, and I, I wasn't looking to move on. I was, I was happy there. I had a great team. I had the my old room service manager from the Cali that I worked with years ago. He was there when I started as the assistant manager, so it was great. I knew him. Had a great relationship with him. Brought in about three or four people that I'd worked with in the previous few years. Built a really good team that that we were all pointing in the same direction. We were making real improvements. Um, Hitting some really great KPIs and benchmarking within within IHG, it was great. And and then I got a phone call from somebody about Cromlix, which just wasn't on on the radar. Um, and it was a chap that I knew through the Scotsman asked if I'd be interested about it, which I was. So started having a chat about it, came up for an interview at the property, had a look around it, and and was totally sold on the repositioning, the rebranding, and the refurbishment. Really excited me. I'm, su- I'm surprised um, that the refurbishment excited you. Yeah, I mean, there's no history of that throughout <laughs> your career at all. Yeah, so 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 that was it. So I, I um, left incredibly amicably with, with Splendid and Indigo. Again, I wouldn't expect anything less of them. Really great bunch of people. Um, and then started here on the 16th of January, so um, a week after they'd closed. So I came into a building site. Right. We had 10 weeks to do the entire property refurbishment. Um, so that was really interesting. Uh, lots of stuff. We had a great, great team working with it. The, the designer's called Suzanne Garuda. And she's from Northern Ireland and she actually did Kim and Andy's family home. Right. Um, and that's where the relationship came from and, and Kim brought her on to do to do the hotel. Kim was very, very involved in the design and the aesthetic of the hotel. She was up an awful lot. She was involved on calls, still is involved um, heavily on the aesthetic. You know, a lot of the, the inspiration and the, the direction is from Kim and what she wanted the hotel to be, which is far more reflective of their personalities as individuals, yep. as opposed to, you know, what could arguably be a cookie cutter Scottish country house, sure. um, which is definitely not now. Um, so there was lots of lots of investment to make sure that that was the case, and then from my side it was a, a super exciting project behind the scenes, um, just putting into place which we're still finalising now things like culture, behaviours, health and safety because everything was run centrally before we had to bring everything in house. Yeah. Um. So bringing all of that together was was really interesting, and there's 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 more projects to come. We're putting in lodges in the grounds there's a, a new restaurant on the horizon 
and we're putting in a wellness area and then Plastic. we continue in the next years to come to just make Cromlick's the best version of itself it can be as cheesy as that sounds that's that's our ultimate goal because um, you know we've got 34 acres of woodland to play with we're in a stunning location we're, we're very lucky with with our owners they're, they're very passionate about investing in Cromlick's you know this is not a project that is owned by an investment company that are just trying to maximize the return that they would get on a sale um, it's everything that's done here is is with the best interests of the property and the people um, yeah. at the at the heart of any decision. This is a this is not something that they're going to sell next year. Um, yeah, which gives it far more longevity. I think. Yeah, and I suppose the opportunity to to build stability uh, as well, and and for yeah. that to to play its important role in the local community and. Uh, and that, that's so. to me one of the the joys of a, a really good hospitality business in any part of any part of the world. Really, it's the ones that really really excel are the ones that integrate with their surroundings. You know, and they become a place where mothers and fathers and sons and daughters all go to work. You know, absolutely. And- we've we've got siblings that work together. We have you know, it's a real family connection here. And. and- and we do need to engage with the local community. Any business in, in in this sort of area has to. You know, you can't be where we are and not have a local trade. You know, you know, ninety percent of our daytime trade comes from local people. Forty percent of our dinner trade comes from local people. So if we don't have that engagement and we don't welcome them in the same way that we welcome our residential guests, we just wouldn't survive. So it's a yeah. massive piece of what we do. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was just having this discussion with my father only last night uh, around the fact where they live uh, in a lovely part of Northumberland. Um, but the the local hospitality is very much geared up to tourism and they forget about the locals a lot of the yeah. time. Uh, and that's that's yeah. it's a shame. Uh, in in reality, because actually it's the locals that generally give you the the business when you need it the most. Well, absolutely. You know, in in, in the winter time, you'll be glad of those locals. So, and and you need to make room for them because they're the ones that will, like you say, they'll they'll keep the till going. And it's also, I think, the right thing to do. You know, you're part of the community. You're probably employing from that pool of people. So, and 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 yeah, I I think it's it's. You need to make sure you look after your own. Yeah, you you want to have somewhere that they're proud to have on their doorstep, and um, yeah, it's the same principle as if any. But you know, if you ever have friends that come over to to stay with you across a weekend or or, or whatever, you want to take them out to the place that you like to go out. Yeah, you know, and and um, so if people have got that level of pride around something that's on their doorstep, I think, you know, you, you, you absolutely win as a business on so many levels. Yeah, for sure. And, and we're lucky in the size that we are is we can, we can really get to know, you know, we've got regulars that come back that we know we, we really take the time to go above and beyond for our residential guests when they come in. So the size that we are, we can be really personable. Um, And I think that's what people like about here. That's certainly the feedback that we get from guests is how, how at home they felt, and which is great to hear because one of the things that, that, that Kim in particular was very keen to have was it was a, a home, not a house, that we were welcoming people into. Yeah. Um, and it certainly seems to have managed to do that to the guests with a combination of the, the aesthetic and the redecoration 
and the and the team that we've got and they're so incredibly warm and welcoming and um, i think the whole package really does make it a home which is which is great yeah fantastic great but question i always like to ask everyone that comes on the show have you got any funny stories that you can share from your career so far let me have a think any any funny stories that i can i can share i remember we were we were looking after the the prime minister at Fairmont, and there's a there's a room that they that they have where it was a Northern Ireland summit actually, and there was a room that they have where the prime minister would come down. All his people were in, and there was tea and coffee in there and everything like that. And and there was myself and a chap called Douglas Evans, who was a conference and banqueting manager, and we'd both been vetted to be the two operational people that could look after the prime minister and go up and serve him on the top floor and stuff like that. So we were both standing outside this room. And before mentioned, Stephen Carter came walking down with the, the Prime Minister. And we'd been told at the front of this room by the people in his aides, you just stay here, we'll look after him, we'll make sure he gets... So we're not allowed to go in the room. So Stephen walks down with the Prime Minister and says, blah, 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 and invites him in the room. And then he says to me, go and, go and offer him a cup of tea. I said, I'm not allowed, I'm not allowed to go in. And he grabbed me, he grabbed me by the arm and threw me in the room. He said, go and offer him a cup of tea. So I'm now standing in this room where I'm not meant to be and offering the prime minister a cup of tea. So, and then he took two tea bags in his tea. So I remember that to this day. Oh, right. Strong tea. Was, yes. Yeah. I think he had a few busy meetings ahead of him. Right. Yeah. So that was great. But again, that, that was, that's driven through nothing other than hospitality and, and being hospitable to somebody. And, yeah. and, you know, I would have been thrown into a room no matter who it was that was coming yeah, down yeah. because the whole idea is they're our guests and, yeah. and we need to make sure that we're looking after them. So it was funny because of who it was, but I've no doubt he would have thrown me into the room no matter who was walking through the door. Yeah, I'd, I'd love that as well. It's almost like hospitality trumps protocol every time. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and I think one of the things that, that I think we've probably lost in the last few years is, is the the host element of of hospitality i think you know if i'm being cynical as more and more investment companies come in it's more and more about what's the bottom line that you're getting out of the business and whereas there's there's a real element of if you really truly look after your guests and and do everything you can to make sure they're looked after you know the bottom line should follow there are some things that you need to do to make sure that you protect it but if you're not driving that top line of revenue by being an outstanding hospitality business and making sure people feel like they're being welcomed and looked after it doesn't matter how much you control the pennies nobody's going to come you know people people come to to be looked after and and even more so now i think after the the infamous covid years people when they haven't been away and and now i think you notice it in the you know everyone popular phrase at the moment cost of living crisis there's so much more of an expectation for people's money now and what they get for for the money that they have we need to we need to understand that you know people's expectation of what they get for staying in a 350 pound bedroom is probably more than it was four years ago and so it's about knowing knowing what people want yeah absolutely i could not agree more wonderful uh well last question before i let you get on your merry way what three reasons would you give? I mean, you've, I think you've been quite generous with your reasoning through your career, but what, what would be your main reasons why somebody should join 
hospitality as a career? Well, I, I think, um, and I'm probably a case in point, that it, it doesn't matter what your background is before you come into hospitality. You know, I think the opportunities are there for absolutely everyone at any age. I was 27 when I started in hospitality, so I'd had a whole life before that, you know, fell into it with no expectation of anything um, and I've managed to, to make a path for myself without any formal qualifications in the industry. And and believe me, if I can, if I can do it, anyone can do it. And I know a lot of people say that, but it's true. I think it's one of the few industries that you genuinely get out what you put in. If you've got a good work ethic, if you follow instruction, and if you have a, a, a passion about what you do and, and looking after people, you can literally go as far as you want to go and as far as you commit yourself to go. Yeah. It's not easy. It doesn't happen automatically. But from my experience, there's certainly no barriers. Absolutely. Great stuff. Well, I, well did you ever think that you'd be doing what you're doing now based on the, the on what you started out in your career as? It's absolutely not. Incredible. Absolutely not. Like I say, I've, I've only ever really looked at what's next. So... 20 years ago, I was never sitting in this hotel as a general manager with the last 20 years behind me. You know, I would have been delighted to be the manager of the clubhouse at the St. Andrews Bay. That was, I remember speaking to some of our colleagues and we were going, oh God, wouldn't it be great to be the, the manager of the clubhouse? That would be amazing to get to that level. But it's interesting, you know, it's, even now I'm thinking, you know, okay, so in four or five years time, if, if, if it's time for me to move on, what's the next? What's the next thing? Where 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 am I in ten years? Yeah. Um, as in, what's the next step? Because I think the what also tends to happen, I think, is that the further up the chain you go, the longer you stay in post as well. But yeah, I mean, everybody should have a hunger to do a little bit better than they're currently doing. And if you always do that, you'll end up far further down the line than you ever thought you were going to be. Yeah, absolutely. That's why I I think, and this is something that's come late to me that. Late. I mean, it's not like I'm a an old man, but <laughs> uh, I'm getting there. But is the the moments of reflection actually yeah. uh, where you can take the moment to look back and just remind yourself how far you've come? Because I, I yeah. think a lot of the time, if you're in the moment and you're getting caught up in the, you're just the, the moving your career forward in in whatever that looks like. Sometimes you can kind of forget to congratulate yourself on just who you have become absolutely and it's it's the wax on wax off yeah absolutely well that's a wonderfully philosophical way to wrap it up isn't it (laughs) (laughs) barry thank you so much for your time thank you it's been a pleasure yeah um i I wish you guys all the very best in this kind of new chapter of uh, of the property and uh, i'll definitely be keeping an eye on and i will absolutely drop in absolutely in the area for sure for sure good man brilliant thanks so much And here we have it, a wonderful journey from Barry with so many leadership lessons, also proving that it really doesn't matter when you find hospitality, you can still make superb progress. We'll be back on Friday with a cheeky bonus around one of the very best things that happens in hospitality, so you won't want to miss that. But in the meantime, thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you on Friday.